0: arts and cultural program with the African Sisters Media Network and that was Sweet Honey in the Rock singing Motherless Child and um, yeah we are joined by Amina Elster's um, Family Unity Project Program Coordinator for uh, Legal Services of Prisons with Children. Good morning Amina how are you? Good morning I'm good and yourself? I'm great I'm great I'm so happy you could join us and you can multitask presently. <laughs> That's like pretty amazing. Like you're in your commute and you are talking to us, and I'm so excited. Um, yeah, you're gonna be joining us. This, you're joining us this morning to talk about "Ain't I a Mother Too?" Uh, wonderful program that you are. You know, sort of the lead on. Uh, it's gonna be May 10th, which is next week, from 6 to 8 p.m. at the Oakland Asian Cultural Center, 388 Ninth Street in Oakland. And you are the mother of one child and a survivor of domestic and state violence. You are released from California Department of Corrections in 2017 uh, after serving a life sentence for surviving abuse. In prison, you earned two associate's degrees, liberal arts and humanities and science and math, as well as your paralegal certificate. With a focus on family law and civil litigation. Uh and presently you're a student at UC Berkeley, right? Yes. Yeah, working on your, your BA degree, the first step probably in a uh a multiple <laughs> a multiple right. pronged um academic you know, course. Are you gonna get your, your law degree?
1: No, I'm interested in mastering in public policy.
0: Oh, nice. That's perfect. That's perfect. Yeah. And you facilitate numerous programs for your peers, including class on domestic violence, self-esteem, and codependency. Um, and you maintain your connection with legal services to prisons with children um, from within the women's prison and soon became involved with the California College for Women Prisoners, Survived and Punished, and All of Us and None. Uh, You continue to serve as an agent for change and advocate to free incarcerated survivors and to be the voice for those unjustly impacted by a criminal justice system or injustice system. And you are a Legal Services for Prisons with Children 2018 Elder Freeman Policy Fellow. And I wanted you to talk to us about Ain't I a Mother 2, um, looking at how a mother without housing is a mother without her child. Um and uh yeah, tell us about about this program that you know, that you are spearheading your idea I think. And uh, and what's gonna happen that day um, next week.
1: Okay, so
0: AMOTA too uh came came to the fruition
1: through um, collectively through um organizations that really help that that they serve to help formerly incarcerated women of color. And the whole of this event is to highlight the fact that um, women of color are losing their parental rights for life because they can't access housing. So it is is—it's um, a common thread of our history that, you know, women and black women particularly um, have never really had agency over their own bodies. And we've been fighting um, for, since, for, for the, as long as um, we've been in the United States to be able to um care for and parent our own children and um since the here in the bay area um since the tech boom um, a lot of these tech tech companies have been blamed for um gentrification and the um rising cost of um, of rent pushing black folks out um, into the outskirts um and we really want to bring it to their awareness that family separation is happening right here in the Bay Area um, by showing how many women of color are losing their parental rights due to the strict guidelines of the Families um, Safe Families um, Act that Hillary Clinton, hmm. um, you know, introduced, and also um, the different barriers um, women who are formerly incarcerated face. Not only in getting access to housing um, and jobs, um, on top of there being not being enough affordable housing for them to reunify with their children. Mm-hmm. So on Friday, we hope to you know have a have a discussion um, and engage folks from the tech industry, um, women that have been directly impacted, and also um, community organizations who uh, support these women um, and and hopefully come 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 together with. Some kind of uh, equitable um solution to this problem mhm yeah yeah
0: so who are um who are some of your your partners that are going to be um um as the program you know that are supporting uh mothers reentry and um and and the reunification of of women with their children uh once they have housing definitely so we have um
1: a Time for Change. We have Root and Rebound, um, A Safe Return, um, the California Coalition for Women's Prisoners, East Bay Family Defenders, the Ella Baker Center for Human Rights, mm-hmm. um, and East Bay, uh, East Bay Forward, and you, of
2: course. Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: Um, so I was wondering um, – If you could tell us more about um, sort of, I mean, um, you mentioned uh, Hillary Clinton's um, Safe Family Act um, as as a barrier to uh, women being able to have housing. Um, In the Bay Area, there's a lot of building happening, but a lot of that new construction is not affordable. So what – what what is some of your um like? What would you like to, to happen? Like, what would be some of the takeaways? I know that um, the tech companies who are buying up a lot of a lot of parcels of land and taking over communities and becoming their own little cities, states, um, they're they're being um, invited to participate uh, to see, I guess, the impact of of their um their occupation on on community.
1: Maybe communities right. that they
0: are not aware of
1: right right, so the whole goal is to um we're all innovators, social technical innovators, and um the goal is to um, hopefully like be able to sit down and have a honest dialogue and um, try to plan, whether it be um, helping to um, design or or establish a community um, building where formerly incarcerated women could reside for a period of time that would allow them to um, commit their, I mean, um, complete their um, commitment with the court re- regarding um, reunification with their children. Um, because having stable, safe um, housing is number one in order to get your children back. And if you don't have that then you're not getting your children back. So housing is just the one prong um, uh, prong of the problem. The other issue is, um, like I said, the um, Safe Families Act. The Safe Families Act essentially um, gave states the the, the opportunity to take folks' parental rights if they have been absent from their child's life 15 15 months out of a 22-month period. So if a mother goes to prison, for um, a, a year or or a year and a half, the the clock is ticking, and it doesn't stop once you've been released. So once you've been released, you still are you still have to hurry up and um, you know get housing, um, um, fulfill your commitments to the court in order to get your children back. And because there is no housing, the clock runs out on many women, which. Um, Forces them to lose their children. They become um, wards of the state, and um, in foster care, and ultimately adopted out.
0: hmm Yeah. Wow. That's that's a, that's that's. And it's, there are a lot of a lot of children that that's happening to, right?
1: Correct. Yeah. hmm
0: mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I was reading. Um, people can get tickets. Uh, it's a free event, but you can yeah. register. Um, at Eventbrite, and I was reading. Um, on that site that. Um. Uh, There are over 28,000 children currently waiting for reunification with their mothers um, because um, these um, women can't find or sustain housing before, you know. And so, I mean, that makes sense, you know, that we don't want the children to be, you know, um, unhoused. But, you know, that's still... that seems like that should be, like, a really small thing to fix. However, it's not. I mean, housing is, you know, is a real barrier
1: because there's something,
0: you know, we look around like, oh, my God, we're stepping over people as we walk down the sidewalk. It's it's crazy. Yes,
1: exactly. Mm. Exactly. So. We don't wanna um, assume that folks are aware of this problem, um is even aware that it's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's why we um put this um symposium together is to bring awareness. Um, bring awareness so you can't unknow what you know <laughs> Once you know it.
0: And, um, <laughs> right, right. Yeah, that's so true. That's so true. Yeah. yeah. Will there be an opportunity for people who are um, concerned and to to actually plug in and, and get involved? Definitely, definitely. Mm-hmm. We can use all the
1: all the support and help um, we we need because this is definitely um, this is definitely a huge issue, and um, it's about time that we um, work towards. Um, having some kind of um agency as women of color mm-hmm. over our lives and our, our motherhood and um being able to raise our children and take care of our children and um without um any other outside interference.
0: Mhm. Right, right. Yeah. Um I was reading also um on the event right um that um that presently um uh you know with the extreme shortage of low income housing um that there are only 34 units per every 100 people in need. Wow. And and we have a um, we're, we're kind of densely populated here in in the Bay Area. Right. Yeah, I mean there there are a lot of people and 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 you know like wow, I mean there's, there's the housing does not necessarily reflect um the need. I was I was um watching um the uh Zoom uh a recent forum at Golden Gate University looking at um uh sort of the state um there's some there's some um uh, there's some bills currently uh being um promoted or or uh i guess what do you call it what's the language when when you have a bill and it's not it hasn't been Introduced the
1: legend.
0: yeah introduced yeah introduced. The legend. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah around around housing needs um i asked the question about you know you know what about mothers who were formerly incarcerated but they didn't see my question so it didn't get answered um but yeah yeah it, it's definitely uh a, the municipalities can't necessarily solve this problem alone it's They need the federal uh, uh, involvement, and with the current administration, the federal government is not involved. So that's why the problem is as big as it is in the Bay Area and also throughout the country because people are, like, not housed elsewhere too.
1: Right. There's just so many different um, populations of folks that are in need of housing. Um mm-hmm. that it's it's kind of like it's it's become like a, a a rat race and um it was difficult to really um because housing is essential I mean housing should be a it's a, a human right it is and um all you know, all folks should be able to access um affordable safe housing that um and there's a shortage so I just, I'm just really hopeful that um, we could highlight this population of folks
3: mm-hmm.
1: um, because um, being a mother, how am raising a family is also like a, a right. It is a right. You have a right to raise a family. You have a right to have a family and um, you have a right to access safe and um, safe housing as well. So
3: mm-hmm.
1: I feel like this, this, is a very important um, and um, urgent issue that we have to um, bring awareness to and hopefully try to um, implement some kind of um, some change around it so that um, mothers uh, could be able to continue to be mothers and children could um, continue to be, in a, be, in a, be with, their, with their family and other siblings and not be torn away and separated and um, divided um further um decimating african american communities
0: right yeah so um tell us a little bit about yourself um you you know when you were um incarcerated you um you had you have a son and um and then you returned and um I was wondering um did this housing um uh well the the fact that there is not enough housing did that impact you at all when you came back home? and And also, I wanted you maybe to tie that in with the whole idea of family unity project. I'm sure there's overlap um. okay, so definitely. when I went to
1: visit, my son was two years old, mm-hmm. and um because of my um tumultuous relationship with my mother, she um did not allow me to um have have communication with my son, therefore. Um, for the 15 years that I was in prison, I wasn't allowed to um, establish a relationship or reunify with my son, although I petitioned the court for visitation. But the fact that I was a prisoner, um, my rights and my um, human status was relegated to the form of prisoner. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, they, I really didn't have um, any kind of uh, stance when it came to court. The judge, um, my last court date, when I was in prison, the judge basically stated that my son would be 18 soon, and at that time he can make a decision on whether or not he wanted to see me or not. Shortly after that court date, I was paroled. And um, at this time, my son was now 17 and on his way to college. So being on parole, I paroled to a a, a transitional home. Um, so I, I was not able to have my son with me, um, and my son was still um, at home with my mother at the time. But due to the fact that he um, was on his way to college, he's currently a freshman at Morehouse in Atlanta,
3: mm-hmm. I
1: didn't have to worry about finding a home um, to house he and I mm-hmm. because he's he mm-hmm. um away at college and older. Um, on top of that, too, I have been absent from his life for, for many, many years, and I would not have taken him from the only house and the only mother that he would ever known despite my relationship with my mother um without first establishing a relationship where he and I were comfortable with one another mm-hmm. and um, we're currently still working to um to mend our relationship
3: it's a work in progress mm-hmm.
0: yeah yeah and what about um you know some of the other women who are coming home or women that are about to come home um who maybe might have lost their children to um, adoption um, because that happens so frequently and the women don't often know what they're signing or what's happening because there's no, I heard that the process is so quickly, like quick, particularly for the younger children. Like if a child is like an infant or under a certain age, they can be adopted out and the mother is not going to prison she might just be in jail and she might be getting out really soon. But because of these, these laws or or ways of adjudicating certain kinds of, of conditions, women are losing their children like so quickly and when you get your child is adopted out, that oh. means your child is gone, right?
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, there's no recourse after that.
3: Mm-hmm. And
0: so
1: we'll have um um attorney from um East Bay family defenders who will Present on the obstacles that um, mothers face in in this process, and the fact that um, families first act um, will initiate on the federal level, but and they will discuss how California took it a step further. Um, and basically, um, they're not even California isn't focused on reunification; they are more focused on adopting children out, which is why it moves so it moves so quickly right? And um, yeah, a lot of parents are not notified that they have a court date. They are not notified that um, or informed that in order for them to get an attorney, um, they have to request one. So there's a lot of um, unknowns and what we do at Legal Services Prisoners Children, because we get a lot of prisoner mail regarding um, family custody, um, um, guardianship issues, is we kind of, we give them the tool that they need in order to, Advocate for themselves um, in the family um, dependency or juvenile court um, court, court um, structures when it pertains to their children, um, because oftentimes they are not aware of what their options, what their rights, um, and what their rights are. Whether it be being transferred to court um, if they are in jeopardy of losing their parental rights, or how to give guardianship to a family member um, in order to not have their children wind up in in foster care um, and ultimately being adopted out, but once a child is adopted out, um, the doors are closed until that child is eighteen and um, hopefully decides to seek out their birth parents. Mm. Um, wow!
0: Yeah. Wow! Wow! That's really terrible. Um, and so um, it sounds—it almost seems like we're going backwards as a, as a society, doesn't it? Yeah, definitely. Hmm. Wow, and, and, and you know, and sort of thinking about the whole idea of 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 taking children from their parents, it's it it's sort of it's a um it's a negative or it's a real traumatic deja vu moment for those of us of African descent, right? I mean Correct. Katrina yeah. was a Katrina was one thing and then now it's like it's continuing and um and then um you know, we look at what's happening to, um, you know, immigrant parents, um, you know, their right. children being snatched and then sent out into the world and they don't speak. And so how are you going to reunite a child with the parent and the child doesn't have language? Exactly.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, wow, yeah, really um, crazy. Um, and you wonder, you know, to what end, why is this, Is it, you know, is it to to produce more free labor um, 'cause what are the statistics around around the um uh the children's success and and you know and and the and you know and and um well being when they're separated from their parents um particularly children that have had an opportunity to bond with their parents like your son you know at two and then you're gone.
1: Right, so I don't know the exact statistic the statistical number, but I do know that it is it is poor mm-hmm. um a lot of these children wind up um in back in in um from the custody state involvement to um you know later juvenile um, juvenile courts um it's really um it really causes like mental distress. For children um children and mothers um fathers as well, so there's a lot of damage and less good and foster homes there's a lot of um reports of abuse in foster homes right so that further traumatizes children yeah
0: that that is so true, yeah, yeah. Wow! Wow! Well, this congratulations. You know, on pulling together this really wonderful program. Um, um, so um, tell us again, sort of like um, I know they're going to be um, mothers are going to be giving um, some personal stories, so we can actually hear from them about um what happened, and I think the perspective is going to be from the point of view of children as well, right? They lost um, mothers yeah. to the system, or or they yeah. were adopted out and things like that.
1: Yes, or currently um, struggles going through going through the system right now, mm. and the various hurdles that they have to go through in order to get their children back. Um, just highlighting how difficult, how difficult, um, how difficult it is, um, and like exactly what does it look like? What does it look like for a mother to be trying to fight to retain custody of their children against all of these odds uh, that formerly incarcerated women of color face?
0: Mhm mhm yeah yeah wow, wow, so once again, I want to let the audience know that I'm speaking to um amina esther s elster uh about ain I a mother too, a mother without housing is a mother without her child um uh tech in- tech sector innovate, don't eliminate our motherhood, and again that's um May tenth Um, next week, 6 to 8 p.m. at the Oakland Asian Cultural Center, 388 9th Street in Oakland. And it is a free event. And for people who want to find out more, um, uh, give them the website so they can stay in touch and and maybe get on the mailing list.
1: Sure. The website
3: is
1: prisonerswithchildren.com.
3: Okay. Okay. Okay, have a look. super. <laughs> All right. Yeah, that's okay. well, thank too. you. Oh, you're quite okay. welcome.
0: Thank you so much for joining us. Um, did we touch everything? Yes, I believe we did. Okay, cool, cool. Well, good. congratulations. Look forward to seeing you at our planning meeting this week.
3: <laughs> yep, see
0: you then. All right, you take good care. Have a good rest of the morning. You too. All right, peace and mm-hmm. blessings. Bye-bye. So while we wait for our next guest to join us, um, we are going to um, <laughs> yeah, we're gonna play um, uh, Odetta um, singing uh, the same song, um, and Odetta, you know, she needs no it- introduction, <laughs> um, but it's another another take on. Uh, sometimes I feel like a motherless child.
4: Is there a song that you'd like to be remembered by?
2: No.
5: And yes. And I'm... I think. I'm I'm, I'm a greedy person. I just love so much and so many.
1: Uh, Maybe this one.
3: Oh, Like I'm
0: Well, that was Odetta singing um, Sometimes I Feel Like a Motherless Child. And, um, yeah, we're sort of doing like a pre-Mother's Day kind of conversation here. Um, um, Yeah, and talking about women, um, we are joining the studio. uh, Is that you, Lindsay? Or is it... um, uh, Miss, your name? Your last name is uh, Waterman. Oh yes, it's Naja. Naja, thanks, Naja. I didn't want to kill your name. Okay, so you are proceeding, <laughs> uh, Lindsay and Naja. Not, uh, Naja. 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 Okay, Naja. Naja is um, Waterman is is joining us to talk about. Um, Gritty City Rep Youth Theaters uh, production of *Taming of the Shrew* is coming up in uh, a couple of weeks, uh, May 16th through 25th at the Flight Deck. And um, and gosh, I keep, I'm getting really confused. I'm just gonna call you Miss Waterman. Sorry. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, Miss Waterman is a junior at Envision Academy, a charter school in downtown Oakland. And this is your fourth show with Gritty yes. City Rep, and you've been performing with Gritty City for two years. Wow, you've been busy yes. four shows in two yes. years, wow. <laughs> and you're playing uh, Lucentia in this production, yes. and I think that might be uh, Lindsay now. So thank you so much yes. for joining us, Ms. Waterman. Um, Lindsay, how that you? Yes, hello, how are you? Hi, good morning. You get the kids off?
6: Good morning, I did indeed
0: <laughs> oh excellent, excellent. So happy May day for both of you um international women's Workers Day and also the um according to um I was looking at my um my uh, astronomy um, uh, notification for today
6: <laughs> and I was
0: learning about and I don't know if either of you are old enough, but when I was a kid, we actually danced around a maypole. On May Day, we got dressed up and we we decorated the maypole with flowers and we danced around and sang songs. Uh, Do any of you all have those kind of memories?
6: My mom did that in the Midwest.
3: Okay, okay, yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. Uh, (laughs) What about you, uh, (laughs) Miss Waterman? Uh, Are you dancing around the maypole today? Anytime this morning, afternoon? Um,
5: no, I've never heard of that tradition before. (laughs)
0: Oh, darn. I feel so blessed that I have that memory. Like, <laughs> going, you know, I did it at John McLean Elementary School in San Francisco. Um, and, uh, yeah, um, all of my five years there. I don't remember doing it in sixth grade when I moved to uh, Visitation Valley, but I do remember it in kindergarten, first grade, second grade. And, and it's really interesting that um, – also, as a part of that tradition, people would give flowers to their neighbors, like put flowers in baskets and like give it to their neighbors. Is that cool?
5: That's yeah, a beautiful maybe. tradition. Yeah.
0: Yes. Yeah. So I don't know if that's happening um, uh, in 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 this play. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know. If, I don't know if anyone's getting any flowers delivered. <laughs> no, not um, so far.
3: Not <laughs> so far. <laughs> so,
0: Lindsay. Um, How do you pronounce your last name, Lindsay? It's been a minute since I've called it.
6: Crumbine.
0: Crumbine. Yeah, and you're the founder and executive director of Gritty City Rep um, Youth Theater. And if I'm not uh, mistaken, this is a reprise, because haven't you done Taming of the Shrew?
6: We haven't, actually. This is my first time directing it. We've done Tempest, Uh we've done *Midsummer*. we've done a number of Shakespeare's, but not this one. And I've never oh, okay. directed it before. Oh, how fun. How fun.
0: So tell our audience the story. I'm sure they know the name, and, and they know Shrew is not a nice thing to call a woman.
3: <laughs>
6: it certainly is um, not.
0: Yeah, but other than that, I don't know if they, if they remember. So, why don't, you know, between the two of you, why don't you go back and forth and tell us the story. Um, yeah, what is this story? And. Sure. What's your twist yeah, on it? So Where is it set? Is it set here in Oakland?
6: <laughs> well, so I'll, we'll, how about we give you, it's not an adaptation, but it's definitely specifically set in terms of period and setting. Mm-hmm. So we'll give you our version, which is, of course, all in Shakespeare's language, but, you know, particular to the way we set it culturally and, and location-wise and time period. So, so, we're in Manhattan uh, in the present time, and uh, Baptista Manola is a rich Nigerian man living in Manhattan. He has two daughters, and mm. the older is Kate Catherine, and the younger is Bianca. And they're both beautiful, but Catherine is very outspoken, proud, knows who she is, and is not particularly interested in marriage, especially with any of the lame men that, that her father keeps sending her away. Whereas her younger sister, Bianca, is very popular, much more the pretty, pretty, demure sort of Barbie doll sister who all the men seem to want. But uh, Baptista won't let Bianca get married until he marries off her older sister, Catherine. So that's where we open. Nigel, you want to take it from there for a minute? Um yeah, let
5: me explain my character a bit. Sure. Mm-hmm, sure. Okay, um my character is Lucentia and I went to Manhattan with my servant Chanya to go to school and study, but I saw Bianca and ended up falling in love. So Chania and I switch positions so I can end up falling in love with Bianca, and we go through, like, this crazy adventure for me to end <laughs> up finally marrying her, for me
6: just to get caught by my father at the end of it. Yeah, so so uh, her servant, Trania, is going to sort of walk around town in the in the fancy mistress clothes and pretend to be Lucentia and sort of also, feel out the father, Baptista, to see, you know, is he down with gay marriage? Can a woman be a suitor for Bianca? And uh, <laughs> Baptista's more worried about money than anything else. So he's a little, he's a little uncertain at first, but when he hears who uh, Lucentia's father is, which is this super rich guy, Vincentio from San Francisco, he's, uh, he's like, <laughs> all right, whatever, let's go for it. And uh, then Nigel, as as Lucentia, pretends to be this tutor. And so she can sort of go in on the sly and, you know, say words of love to Bianca while pretending to tutor her in Latin and Greek and all of that. And then there's some other characters who also want Bianca and there's antics around that. You know, people, there's a lot of Mm -hmm. identity switching and Mm. dressing up as someone else to fool the you know the dads the rich folks and you know as we were as we were casting it we have a lot of strong women in our ensemble so you know I'm looking Mm -hmm. at the roles and I'm thinking about how to cast it and you know a lot of times people will people will cast the uh, a Shakespeare you know what they call colorblind as in, you know, Mm -hmm. any race, but not actually a dress race or, Mm -hmm. you know, switch genders, but have women play men. Sometimes men play Mm -hmm. women, but not often in in this day and time. But I feel like it's way more interesting to actually have people play themselves. So, so instead of, colorblind casting it's like if it's a black actor it's a black character and what Mm -hmm. what does that actually mean and let's build that out instead of sort of ignoring it or disappearing it and by -hmm. the same token if it's a if it's a queer female actor let's make it a queer female character and what does that mean Mm -hmm. and how does that work with the play so that's the direction that that we like to go with Shakespeare, and I think it actually makes Mm -hmm. the play far more rich and a different Mm -hmm. take than hopefully folks have seen for Taming and the Shrew.
0: Right, right. Yeah, yeah. Ms. Waterman,
6: talk about that,
0: um, you know, sort of not ignoring um, the specifics of the actor or actress, um, you know, what, what the person brings to the characterization, like not ignoring that. As if it doesn't exist when everyone is like noticing it in the audience.
5: Nadja, you want to take that one? Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't hear the question. Something happened. Oh, okay. Oh.
0: Yeah, I was wondering if you if you could um, talk about you know what Lindsay just said about um, how a gritty city does not ignore um, what the actor brings to the character like your cultural um specific contribution is incorporated into the characterization as opposed to you know when we talk about blind casting it's so interesting that you would mention that Lindsay, because i was just reading the historic speech um that um august wilson gave in 1996 and in that particular speech to princeton um he he talks about how, you know, no, we're not into this blind casting stuff, like no. <laughs>
6: um
0: Yeah. Um
6: yeah. What yeah, makes people invisible? Um, it like perpetuates yeah. this this lack of this lack of diversity on stage and acts as if somehow like putting actors of color into white like traditionally white roles or roles that were written, you know, by Eurocentric writers and intended for white actors is somehow like progress, but I don't, mm-hmm. I don't think it is at all.
0: Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So Miss Waterman, what do you think about that? And, you know, obviously um, there must be something about Gritty City uh, Youth Theater that has you coming back <laughs> year after year, you know, and performing. So yeah, talk about this, this, um, you know, being able to bring yourself, all of yourself to the role and have that, you know, enrich the character as opposed to have to, like, pretend that
5: it doesn't exist. Right. I I think it is a very – um. what's the word? Uh, I feel like it shouldn't be ignored because if, as a black female, if I'm, like, trying to portray a white female on stage – it'd be like kind of distracting to the audience instead of just making me like a black character do it, like um and I'm sorry, I need to think about it real, like for a second.
6: Well okay. so Nija, you know, we decided like so you're playing we made Lucentio Lucentia and oh, oh you right. Why can't the character just be a gay woman? like a gay black woman and what why not and actually what does that add to the role and so as an actor getting having the director make that choice and then getting to play it that way so what is that like for you and and what do you think about that sort of concept and what's the experience been like
5: oh okay okay um, I was ecstatic when Lindsay came to me um, and told me that I will be playing a gay character because um, before I played like a strict character in Gritty City, and I'm myself, I'm gay. So I was just feeling like this is like the role for me, like I needed this for like the gay community or whatever because there's not a lot of plays that have queer colored people. In their shows, and I think it's good to expose the audience to different things like this. So hopefully, later on, it won't be such a taboo thing. It'll be like just a normal play, like every other play. And I think more play should be a little bit more diverse with their um, actors and actresses and how they portray their characters. Um, yeah, pretty much. Mm hmm
0: yeah and and I was wondering um uh lindsay if you um you both um since you know you're um, you've been performing with the company for a while um nadia um if you could both speak about sort of the 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 under uh girding philosophy of of this theater gritty city um Rep youth theater um you know sort of the way you approach um, theater. I mean, you do original work as well as, you know, quote the classics. Um, but you, your take on them, as you mentioned, as we're speaking, is is not a traditional take on it. And and does that have anything to do with uh, being um, uh, a Bay Area, Oakland-based theater? Um, you know, at the Flight Deck, you know, right downtown Oakland, fifteen forty Broadway, and and you know, working with young people that are a lot of them are in the public school system and um, and a lot in these particular plays that Gritty City has been known for actually, through this art, tell stories of these youth that maybe other people don't even know.
6: Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think that um, uh, a huge part of our philosophy is around access. And, mm. and a lot of different aspects of access, you know, we, we talk about that a lot as a buzzword, but I think, in, and oftentimes we mean money, uh, but I think access is about a lot more than money, you know, I think for a lot of folks, live theater has not felt accessible whether as performers or as audience members, yes, partly because of money, conservatory programs tend to be insanely expensive theater camps, all that stuff. And then as well as theater tickets, but beyond that, you know, if you're a person of color and you're walking into a theater and you're like one of the only people of color. Right. So what is that like? Does this feel like, Hey, this is for me. I'm part of this community. If you're, a person of color or especially a young person of color and you walk into a theater and the way you're looked at or treated at the box office or in the lobby is mm-hmm. as if, uh Oh, maybe you're a problem. I mean, I can't mm-hmm. tell you how many times I've brought groups to the theater and <laughs> we've gotten just this vibe,
7: like, yeah. like baby on an <laughs> airplane,
6: you know? And it's ridiculous, and I want to turn and say, yeah, Mm. this is a group of actors, but it's, like, the assumptions that are made by other audience members. And then they're going to sit down and watch an August Wilson play, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's this, I feel like we don't acknowledge the degree to which we still live in this, like, shuck and jive era. Let's see Mm. black bodies up on stage, but not sitting next to me while we're watching. So, right. I mean, really and truly, it's, it's right, it's a thing. And mm-hmm. I think a lot of white liberals in the Bay Area don't want to acknowledge that. So, you know, when you come into a show at the flight deck at, to one of our shows, the vibe is very welcoming. It's very warm. You are greeted. Everyone is made to feel welcome when the – Show is over, the actors come out and shake hands and talk, and it's loud and friendly and personal. And I think we we get about 20% of our audience is, is seeing their first Hi, a, live show when they come to Great mm-hmm. City. So, you know, we're trying to really make theater something for a much more diverse community of folks, regardless of race, economics, you know, experience with the theater, um, both by putting much more diverse stories and communities on stage, as well as, like, in the audience and the whole vibe. I mean, so does it feel like that to you, Nidha, in terms of, like, rehearsal and then performance and audience? What do you think? Um, I mean, why do you stay and keep coming back? Uh, I stay because um, I just love Grady City.
5: The vibes are always super positive, whether it's with Lindsay, with um, my ensemble, with uh, um, audiences. It's just super positive, and we get great feedback from the audience. And I really do feel like we are diverse, and they, when we're in the theater, they don't really have they don't really notice that we're colored. And, like, the aspect of, like, what Lindsay was saying earlier, when we go to see a play, it's, like, all they notice is that we're a large group of colored people. And I just love Grady City because they make me feel welcomed and and important and heard. And I just always have everything positive to say about Grady City and what Lindsay does for us all the time.
6: Well, and you guys work your butts off I mean these these young actors train hard you know they come after school they hustle they sweat they work I mean the growth is just phenomenal right so it's like
5: Mm -hmm.
6: it's like there's an opportunity there but these are young people who have a lot of other stuff going on with school Mm -hmm. work you know all kinds of other programs and are really taking advantage of an opportunity and investing in this company with their sweat equity, you know, so it really feels like a a very collaborative operation for me. I mean, I certainly... It's certainly my bliss, and I get, you know, to geek out on all my artistic affinities and mm-hmm. and really feel <laughs> blessed to have this as my job, you know. Mm-hmm. It's pretty exciting. Yeah,
0: right, right. So tell our audience um, about, you know, the venue and how to get tickets and all that good stuff.
6: Yeah, absolutely. So our website is grittycityreps.com. Dot org. It's g r i t t y c i t y r e p, dot org, and you can also just Google Gritty City Rep, and you'll find it easily. We're right in the heart of downtown Oakland. Twelfth uh, Street BART, Nineteenth Street BART, really easy to get to. We're um, we're on Broadway, pretty much across from City Hall, right there where Telegraph splits off. So fifteen forty Broadway. Uh, we do deep discounts. So we do (laughs) charge for our tickets, but the policy is no one turned away for lack of funds. So, you know, we sell everything from $5 tickets to $50 tickets because Mm -hmm. we want butts and seats and we want folks to, you know, come in the door and check it out. So, you know, it's going to be a hilarious show. We've got...
1: Yeah. All sorts
6: of tango dancing. We've got mm. wild yeah. comedy. We've got wow. some really experienced actors who have been in, you know, four, five, six shows with us. We've got a few brand new actors who are in their first time on stage. It really is something for everyone. We've got gorgeous Nigerian costumes that are literally mm. like handmade and and Shipped from Nigeria, like, custom-fit Nigerian wedding dresses. I mean, you, we got great production values. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's really not – a lot of times when people hear youth theater, they're thinking of, like, little kids or they're thinking of, like, a talent show, and they're going to say, oh, how sweet. But it's not that. <laughs> it's not. Mm-hmm. It's, you will forget that you are watching youth when you see mm-hmm. the show. They really yeah, uh, that's true. step up. hmm Right. Yeah,
0: well you yeah, saw yeah. you saw caught up, mm-hmm. right, Wanda? Right, exactly. Yes I did. Mhm. Yeah, yeah, uh, I agree. You, um, really really you professional think? um production. Oh, I thought it was excellent. Um, yeah, I just thought it was just oh my god, so much talent. I mean and just so many mediums like people were singing, people were dancing, um mm-hmm. it was yeah, and you know, you think about the topic, um you know someone getting caught up you know in the criminal justice system and then um and then being incarcerated then coming back home and trying to you know get his footing um, yeah, just those stories were like riveting, and uh it was really, really really, really beautiful, very well done. Did you all bring home awards for that one? <laughs> <laughs>
6: No, no awards, no awards.
0: Really, I'm, I'm shocked. We got, <laughs> wow,
6: wow, uh, no, not yet. Well, Okay, you yeah. know it's tough wow. to actually get folks to to look at. Um, I mean, we can't even get reviewed. That's one of the frustrating. Are you parts, serious? You know, the, um, well, the like newspapers, whatever, they won't they won't review us because it's youth, you know, and all I would say, I'm like, we can take it. It's okay. You know, review us. <laughs> but
3: or we're oh, about half eighteen really? to twenty four
6: oh. and I say, you know, review the yeah. review the adult actors, but they, they won't do this. So, <laughs> you know, it's tough. Oh. It's a it's tough mm-hmm. to get, you know, credibility. But I feel like we get pretty packed houses and audiences come mm-hmm. back. So that's Mm-hmm. That's what we're going for. Although we still do have a lot of tickets, and we could really use that support because it's a great show. So, Wanda, I Very hope nice. your listeners decide mm-hmm. to go out there and and buy some tickets and come support this work because you know we're seven years mm-hmm. into making powerful, relevant theater with an ensemble of youth of color and and. A lot of people talk about wanting those things in Oakland, especially with this rampant gentrification. But like, put your butt in the seat, show us that support. Mm -hmm. Like, come through, come watch the Mm -hmm. show. Yeah, yeah, that's really important.
0: Oh wow, okay. Well, I have to make sure I get my, you know, don't procrastinate. I'll write a review. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't know you weren't getting reviews. So yeah, I can do that. That's no problem. Ah, wow yeah you all are definitely um even if you all are youth and adults, highly professional um okay. have have yeah. any of um of the youth actors in the past seven years gone on you know to university to pursue um theater um as as a discipline and um, yes. have any have any gone on like you've seen them on you know as equity actors on some of the Various stages or or stages elsewhere in the country? Not
6: yet, but we're getting there Mm -hmm. because most – when we started, most of our actors Mm -hmm. were like freshmen and sophomores, so they're just sort of getting older now. We've got one actor, Deshaun Franklin, who's in training Mm -hmm. for pro wrestling right now, which is like the sort of the theatrical pro wrestling, right, which is basically um, unarmed stage combat is what you do for pro wrestling. It's incredibly (laughs) athletic, but it's stage combat, Mm -hmm. and that's amazing. So he's been in training for that and is about to start performing. We've got Joy Knighton, who's graduating from UC Santa Cruz this year with a degree in theater, and she's been working in the Bay and will be coming back from Santa Cruz and working with some local Mm -hmm. theaters. We've got Aya Dominique, who's studying theater at Mills, And is currently performing with them and has done some staged readings around the Bay. We've got Robert Page, who co-wrote, caught up with me for last Mm -hmm. year's show. And he is about to age out of our programming. But he and I are actually working on a new play for next fall. So, you know, he is a young emerging playwright. So that's also very exciting. Uh, so oh, yeah, we've definitely got some some rock star young adults emerging <laughs> onto the theater scene in the next couple of years. So keep your eyes open. Yeah.
0: <laughs> nice, nice. So Nadia, um what 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 brings you to theater, and and what if you if you um, are projecting like that? Um, how you know do you do you see yourself maybe pursuing this
5: as as a career? Um, yes, I do see myself pursuing um acting as a career. I got into mm-hmm. acting when I was about 7 or 8 and I fell in love with mm-hmm. it like ever since then, and so I've always known that I've wanted to do this. Um, so I've just been training with Lindsay for the past 2 years um after taking a break mm-hmm. from my previous theater um I'm trying mm-hmm. to get back into theater more, so um when I go off to college I'll be ready for the theater in college right oh nice what what's your other theater you so you um you, you perform
0: in <laughs> you're performing in um, um city as well as another theater
5: which what other theaters yes the uh black rep in Berkeley
0: oh really. Okay. hmm Oh yeah, nice. What have you been at the in at the Black Rap?
5: Um I've been in Prentice and the and the Frog as Lewis and I've been in the Wiz just as extras. That's when I was like super nervous back then. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow, that's great. That's really great. Ah, huh.
0: Okay, cool. Well I totally look forward to um to seeing you all um, you know, um, I guess it's in two weeks now, right? That should be really, really yep. great uh, see what you
6: two weeks do with from that. Tomorrow uh, the we play. open, yes, we run May 16th through the 25th, so it's two weeks on Thursday, Friday, Saturday nights, the 16th, 17th, 18th, 23, 24th, 25th, and then we also have a Sunday matinee on May 19th, as well as um, a couple yes. student matinees on Tuesday the 21st, and if If uh, we have a few spots left in our 9.30 a.m. student matinee on Tuesday, May 21st, so if there's any teachers out there listening, um, you know, they're probably teaching, but, you know, teachers, (laughs) if you hear this and you want to bring a class, we got room for one more class.
0: Right. Yeah, yeah. Okay, cool, cool. Well, congratulations to both of you, and I look forward to uh, seeing you in the theater.
6: Thank you. Wonderful. Thank you so much, oh. Wanda. We really oh, appreciate you having us on.
0: Yeah. Oh, you're welcome. I'm Very thinking much.
6: maybe I should
0: do a maybe I should do a preview piece so make sure people don't miss it. So we'll talk about that
6: off the air, Vincy. Okay, wonderful. Thank you so much. Yeah.
0: Oh, you're quite welcome. You take good care. Have a good rest of the morning. And happy May Day. You too, Wanda. <laughs> Thank you. Happy May Day. Sure. Thanks. Okay. Bye. Bye bye. Good morning Jason Mendez How are you and congratulations
4: I am well Good supremacy. morning and thank you <laughs> Thank you so much
0: Yeah yeah. I'm like oh man I wish I wish I had an opportunity to read some of your, your Graphic novels you're just like So busy and
6: Is this your <laughs> first
0: um, Is this your first play um, Presently That you know is going up supremacy At uh, Exit Theater um, May 3rd which is uh, two days from now. <laughs> it's going to May 18th, which is the day before Malcolm X's birthday, which is kind of perfect, right? You're talking about supremacy. and like, oh, wow. This
1: is very, cool. Very
4: much so, very <laughs> much so. Uh, yeah, it, it's going to be my uh, first full-length uh, production. Uh, okay. I've had some readings uh, staged at the exit and then I've I've had uh, a short uh, piece that was involved in the Short-Lived Festival at Piano Fight, yeah this is this oh, is the first full-length production that that i'm doing
3: mm-hmm. and
0: um i'm gonna i'll read your bio in a little bit but uh i'm gonna talk a little bit about 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 this work because you know it's, it's taken from you know sort of looking at you know the greek gods um and and i'm thinking maybe i saw it at the 2017 san francisco olympian festival um was that the um the same one the job that job um Richards had a piece in
4: uh i it it may be that that sounds about right <laughs> it's, okay it's been, yeah I, I've been in, it's been been a a few years since we did the the staged reading uh on this so mm-hmm. a, a lot has uh a few <laughs> things have changed <laughs> since then. I don't want to give too much away, yeah. but there has been some changes mm-hmm. to it and yeah.
0: Okay. So, so tell us about the story and I just like, wow, and tell us about the title. <laughs> it just really grabs you, you know, like, okay. <laughs> yeah, but I really like that um, you know, that you are um, you know, you're looking at Horus or Heru, um, you know, the uh Egyptian mm-hmm. or the uh, kinetic, you know, god of the sky. And, and Heru is like awesome. Oh my gosh. Horace, if you're looking at it, <laughs> yeah. So, talk. Tell us the story. What's the story about? Um, uh, and uh, and how did it come to you?
4: Well, you know, um, the story really came about uh, because I I personally was just really moved and and really really bothered, as I'm sure a, a lot of people were, with all of the all of the videos and all of the images. That were that we had been inundated with of uh, officer shootings, um, particularly of uh, young African American males and and women as well. and um, i I really was I was looking for a way to try and channel the emotions that I was feeling into something that was positive and be able to have a positive conversation around. Uh, those incidents, and what mm-hmm. I was finding was, what I was finding was, it was really hard to have those conversations because it, the the people that I re- w- was talking to, they didn't like we didn't couldn't agree on just the value of a person's life. Never mind, you know whether, mm-hmm. you know whether you know uh, whether the victim deserves to die, whether they. Uh, whether they committed, you know, perceivably a crime or not, whether they made a mistake, whether they didn't follow orders, all these, you know, peripheral uh, um, excuses or or, uh, ideas, we could not, like, agree on, you know, whether that person's life was valuable, whether life is valuable enough that Mm -hmm. our first instinct should not be to kill someone. So I, I was looking to really try and and stir the conversation steer it back to the idea that look life period is valuable and um, I wondered what what would it be like if any one of those officers could have a conversation with uh, their victim and away from the media away from cameras away from the rhetoric just the officer and that victim and what what would happen in that conversation and and the story kind of started to to come out of that uh, I made a proposal for the Olympians Festival, and uh, uh, Stuart uh, Boussel was gracious enough to uh, look me in there and say, "Go ahead and do that and um, it seemed like Horace heru kind of seemed like the perfect uh, Deity to be able to to merge with that story and kind of dive in and delve into the modern experience of um, of a Black American.
0: Mhm. Ah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So so tell us a little bit about about Horus, hey, Um for those that don't know don't know the deity. Tell us a uh, little bit about about
4: his story. Well is uh, the the falcon god the god of the sky um, he has a very interesting family and uh, his uh, father was actually uh, murdered by his uncle which is set and um, after after his father is murdered and dismembered his mother tries seeks uh, goes on a mission to basically uh, join all of the parts of his father back together in order to conceive uh, a son, which she then hides uh, as an infant um, until he is of age to be able to challenge his uncle for the throne, essentially. And from that moment on, Set and Horus kind of become these, yeah, you know, these ultimate arch rivals in this constant battle back and forth and um don't want to give too much away because a lot of that plays into the this particular story as well mm
3: mm-hmm.
0: yeah yeah his um uh his mother um is um often uh compared to um um to uh to Mary the the whole story is often seen as as the original uh tr- um uh virgin mother and mm-hmm. um and God you know giving birth to to a god child um in mm-hmm. the absence mm-hmm. of a man um uh you know sort of so we see um, um I'm trying to think of the other name um uh the comedic name for his mother um, but I can't think right at the moment. it's like John, a complete blank. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I, um,
4: yeah. That's right. There. I mean, there, I know the are... other.
0: I know the other name is Isis, but that's not the one I'm thinking. of. I mean, I want the other name, not the Greek name, but the, the, um, the kinetic name. Um, uh, yeah, because um, you know, the father is is seen sort of as um. As, like, the uh, you know, the god, so yeah, it's really interesting. And then, and then, you know, having the reincarnation, you know, within that story is pretty, pretty, mm-hmm. interesting, um, as well. Wow, oh, this is going to be so cool! Wow, this is going to be amazing. And I thought, I thought from what I was reading that, um, because I, I didn't read the play in advance, I thought there was, um, uh, one of your characters is um is adopted and 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 yeah. he um yeah it can you tell us a little bit about about, about that character because he seems is he like the protagonist besides you know the policeman that has the conversation um, you know there's sort of be like this adopted black youth who has lived his entire young life on um, flying under the radar Adhering mm-hmm. to the rules of the talk,
4: like what is the talk? Mm-hmm. <laughs>
0: yeah.
4: Yes. So, what I what I wanted to do is I wanted to try and 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 uh, present kind of a a different perspective on on what it's like to be black in America and and um there that our main character his name is Connor he is adopted and he's adopted by uh, white parents. And that presented an opportunity to um, to really get into you know the notion of what it what is it like for white parents to try and raise a black youth, particularly in mm-hmm. today's society, and what are the things that they are suddenly you know very uh, and suddenly confronted with very immediately. Um, that they may or may not be used to having to deal with on a daily basis. Um, and one of those is very much how does the world look at your child? Because suddenly you become very aware of that in a way that you may not have been before. Um, and the the talk is, uh, you know, I, I think something that many, uh, many black Americans may uh, identify with, which is that uh, the talk of how do you handle yourself if you happen to be around a police officer or a police officer stops you and your parents aren't around. It's, it's the thing that, you know, black parents have to tell and teach their, their young kids, um, the rules, uh, whether unstated or not, the rules that hopefully will keep them alive and help them survive, uh, an officer, um, an officer encounter, um, and it's not really. It, it is quite literally meant to just keep them alive. It's, it's not about uh, preserving innocence. It's not about um, you know. It's not about uh, being right or being wrong. It is literally just about getting them past that moment so that they can fight that fight later. Uh, and so I wanted to. I wanted to place uh, our lead. Into um, a family with white parents, you find out what does that what does that conversation look like there, and in that context, and how, how do they begin to even have that conversation? And it it, it, it opened up um it opened up a, a lot of, of of different things. It opened up uh, some very different perspectives, and we were very very surprised and excited um, where that took us. Um, uh, and where that took the characters, and where that took the story.
3: Mm, hmm. Yeah.
0: Oh, I remember now. Um. Uh. We've got Asar, uh, who will be um the father, Abraham's father, and Aset mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um, uh, who is the wife, and um, and and then Set, uh, you know, is is the uncle who is jealous of Asar and dismembers him, um, and then you know the story goes you know, that she pulled together all these pieces and and but the ultimate story is that love is the greater weapon, uh, because mm-hmm. Hey is mm-hmm. like really, really like he's upset, like, dude killed so. my dad. Like what? I grew yes. up without a father. Like I'm you know, in your in your play, you know, I'm I have foster parents. I mean I have adopted parents. I'm not with my family. Like I'm really mm-hmm. not with my family in the way you said it. <laughs> yeah. Um <laughs> so, you know, so there's a lot of bitterness. I'm um, really looking forward to seeing how this plays out on stage with your, your your you know with the cast. But um and so you know, so you see the shift and I'm thinking, you know, sort of um historically with the character. You see the shift um in the deity, you know, cuz there's also he has an aunt um as well who is really close to his mother. And um, and uh, and these other advisors, you know, these, um, you know, what they call now OGS, but uh, <laughs> but you know, <laughs> yeah. elders that that have sense, yeah. And and so they they say, you know, like you can't, because what happens in the in the uh, in the story, not your story necessarily, but the story of what happens in the battle is that, um, when Heru or Horus allows himself to, to to feed on hate, it makes his opponent bigger and and mm-hmm. and able to mm-hmm. do him but when he loves them he shrinks and mm-hmm. and so yeah and then the whole idea of vengeance and and uh and how forgiveness can come you don't have to not necessarily forgiveness but you you don't have to kill somebody you can let them go and still win the battle mm-hmm. which I think is pretty mm-hmm. cool too and I don't know how what you do with that either because I haven't heard the play and I haven't seen the
4: play
3: <laughs> <laughs> well well I will
4: say you you're you're gonna have to come see it i I will say oh, you know, know um I know, I know. this <laughs> this 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 play this cast um it, it it's it's so phenomenal everyone that we have working on it from the cast mm. to mm-hmm. all of our designers the crew everyone has kinda of, has really jumped in and um And not just to do the job, but to really open themselves up and be empathetic and sensitive to the material and to each other and what's going on. And because of that, that has really, really elevated the material and really brought in uh, that sense of, of empathy and that sense of, of like competing emotions because that's, that's what's happening. I think that's what we're really, Mm -hmm. we're really talking about and we're really fighting for. Like how, how are we able to exist and get back to a place where we, you know, where we can sit in the same room as somebody we don't agree with, where we can see people as more than one Mm -hmm. thing, where we can just, we can allow these emotions of anger and hate and rage to coexist with, love, and empathy, and just understand that, you know, as people, we experience both, and, mm-hmm. uh, and, and and we don't need to wipe out one or the other. We just need to be able to understand that we experience them, and then still make decisions that are not entirely based on them, and, mm-hmm. and I, I, I think that's that's the conversation we we that we're trying to have on stage and you know and then it's it's also a bit of a, a superhero story because I'm really into comics mm-hmm. so you know how yeah. do we how do we do that on stage and it's it's an it's an experience i think from from the moment <laughs> you walk in the theater it's going to be an experience
0: cool cool super so um is it all ages
4: uh it it is there. There are a couple of of choice uh, words in the play. Um, mm-hmm. I say that uh, for the most part, it it is all ages. Um, I say for parents that are bringing young children, um, mm-hmm. it's at their discretion. You will have to have a conversation. Um, Probably before, or after about the material because of of what happens in it.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And um, and you, um, you're reading your bio finally. Uh, <laughs> you are a content creator, making your debut as a writer uh, with this this piece, this work um, at the exit, and you know the power of voice, striving to challenge and complicate social narratives by making space for un and underrepresented un- underrepresented experiences your written work ranges from commissioned readings for the San Francisco Olympics Olympian Festival to the graphic novels you have you see graphic novels and you have previously worked with Netflix on the set of 13 Reasons Why and you hold a Master's of Fine Arts degree in playwriting from San Francisco State University. So um, tell us about, um, well, the first question I had was um, does this play in any way resonate with you personally um, because you say you know the power of voice, striving to challenge and complicate social narratives on making space for un- and underrepresented experiences, um, do you find the work? I mean, I'm thinking supremacy for sure is not a story that one sees often. <laughs> Has I mean, I don't think I've ever seen a story, uh, you know, like what we're talking about. So I'm thinking, oh, this is so exciting! I'm so happy that you know you have written this this um, work and 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 that is going up um, this week. So that's really exciting. Um, but what brings you to to this kind of work? And uh, and then I want you to. You know, let us know about this 13 Reasons Why. And and why did you decide to go into playwriting?
4: <laughs> well, um, yeah, you know, I... Uh, the work is something uh, personal for me. There are... I, I definitely drew on some of my personal experiences for certain aspects and certain scenes of, of the play. Um, and then, uh, you know, also... Like I said, it's, you know, the subject matter that we're talking about in the play and that in the conversation we're trying to have is also a very, very personal um, conversation because I, you know, I I am an African American. I, you know, every time that I, um, that I get pulled over, I get stopped, or I'm in the vicinity of an officer, I, I have that slight you know, voice in the back of my head that, that says, okay, you know, be on guard, um, you know, be careful, uh, watch, watch what you are doing and watch what they're doing. And, and you know, all these, all these uh, rules come up, um, because I, I could easily be, um, just like the next, the next person that's on one of the videos that we've seen. Um, there's mm-hmm. been times in my life where I have, been stopped when I particularly when I was younger and I didn't I didn't even realize how close I could have come to to being a victim in that moment um and so yeah you know like those those things hit hit very close to home uh, for me and and the fact that you know life is life is lost and and there seems to be something that just doesn't sit well with me about that um in any case whether you know when, and not just you know, from police violence, but, you know, just violence in general in this country and how we talk about it, it just doesn't sit well with me. Um, Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, you know, it's, it's personal. Um, But I'm, I, I really tried very hard to um, be objective about it and to be fair to all of the characters and all of the perspectives that we are presenting uh, in the play. And and I think that we succeeded at that.
0: Mm-hmm. So, what was your your master's thesis?
4: Um, actually, my my master's thesis uh, was uh, it it is basically what became the template for uh, the graphic novel that I am working on, which is oh. called uh, Artemis Rising. Um, in my master's oh. thesis, the original version was a or is a uh, a six part epic, uh, play. And it's meant, it's meant to be viewed in, in pieces. So, Mm -hmm. you know, one, one week you're viewing, uh, part one, the next week you're viewing part two and so on. Um, -hmm. so it's meant to be consumed in, in a way that's very, uh, you know, not dissimilar to watching, uh, like something on HBO. Uh, so yeah, and then I decided I li le- I loved that story so much that I uh took that and adapted it to a graphic novel and maybe maybe one day we might we might uh see Artemis rising on stage as well. I don't know, we'll see. <laughs> mm mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. So um um I don't wanna oh, so what's your website so people can can, can get your your graphic novels. <laughs> <laughs>
4: uh the website is jason Mendes, uh with the studios dot com uh and then yeah all of all of my information is there um yeah okay cool
0: yeah when you were talking about um the um, um you know having a multiple um a a multiple um storied uh play, you know, sort of scene in um you know, one per week, you know, across, you know, a month and a half. Um mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it sort of reminded me, hmm. Say it again. Pardon me?
4: Sorry, go ahead.
0: I didn't hear what you said. You said something.
4: Oh I no, I didn't. Go ahead.
0: Oh, okay. Um yeah, I was thinking about um the director not director, but the playwright um uh, mm, uh uh udofia who has um she is I think she's in number five of um of her, her play about about the Ufot family, um and mm-hmm. immigrant family from uh from Nigeria, uh Ibu family. And uh two of her her plays um premiered in the Bay Area at the Magic Theater. A Run Boy Run, and um, and uh, what was the other one called? Run Boy Run, and Sojourner uh, was a Sojourner, yes, yeah, Sojourners, and then um, the last one was at the Magic uh, in Old Age, and then there was another one at the um, um, at ACT, uh, and I don't know how to pronounce the name of it because it's in French,
3: <laughs> um, and I was just
0: thinking like, wow. That would be so cool. You could do something really similar um, if you ever decide to, to do that. That would be really cool. Um, yeah, and and I was looking um, that you have a play. It was a few years ago, and it was called. Uh, it was it was a stage reading called the White Listed. You have these great titles, The White Listed. Um,
3: yes. Huh. Yeah,
0: that that looked really good. Did you ever did, did you ever mount that anywhere?
4: I I did not. Um, what essentially what happened is I, uh, after the reading of that, uh, I kind of really went into working on, uh, the proto versions of, of supremacy. So, mm-hmm. um, so no, I, 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 I didn't mount it anywhere, but I, I still would like to, I am now going back to it and kind of touching up and adding a little bit of, of, commentary that I wanted to add to it so um, I I definitely want to do it and I'm I'm looking forward to doing that uh Mm. in conjunction with uh there's a few other projects that I have been commissioned to work on and so I'll be doing Mm -hmm. that as well and you know I'm hoping, you know, if if Supremacy does as well as I'm hoping it i that it does, there may mm-hmm. or may not be uh, a, a sequel or something else that happens in in the same universe because it's, this this is a comic book after all.
0: <laughs> yeah, and we got superheroes, so yeah, totally. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what well, I just find the premise of um of the white um. You know, in in 2016, five years before she was born, Aurora's father mm-hmm. helped an African American scientist develop a cure for racism. It's stro- destroy the American society. <laughs> like, wow, yeah. this is pretty interesting. Yeah, <laughs> yeah,
4: <laughs> yeah. And, and, it's
3: yes. so.
4: Yeah, I had I had a really good time uh, writing that and and presenting it. It, it definitely. Uh, at the reading, I think it, it challenged, um, definitely challenged a lot about how we think about racism and 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 what that even just like what that word means and what language means and you know kind of also the the way that um, the way that things tend to uh, work in America and particularly uh, in terms of like pharmaceuticals and you know how. As soon as you invent something then uh it's it's either banned or outlawed and if it, if that can't be done then, then it becomes uh monetized. <laughs>
3: mhm. Right,
0: right, yeah. Well definitely, um, you know, keep me posted on, on your work 'cause um yeah, you um you've done some really wonderful work and uh and I couldn't find you. your, you. your website. So tell me again what's your website because um, 'cause I've been putting your name in as we've been talking, trying to like find you and I'd like it's not working. Um so tell me again sure, um sure. is is your name?
4: Yeah, so it's Jason Mendez Studios.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh, com. studios. That's the part I'm missing. Okay. <laughs> yeah, cuz that's really weird that it wouldn't come up when I just put your name in. Like why doesn't it know you? Um to
4: send me to hey.
0: your studios, right?
4: <laughs> yeah. 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 Wow. I'm, I'm not Mhm.
0: Hmm. Okay. Cool. Super. All righty. So, um, the last question. Um, so, what brings mm-hmm. you to to this work?
4: Oh. Uh, actually, I mean, life. You know, I, I, it's kind of, I kind of feel that, I kind of feel that, uh, the work find, found me. You know, mm-hmm. um, it, it, it's a story that wanted to be told. I think even, even writing in general and playwriting, I'm, I'm very much, I've always been a fan of performance art and mm-hmm. um, you know, I, I, I believe in, in uh, adding new voices and adding new experiences to the discourse. And I, I think um, anyone who has the ability and the potential to make space for, uh, those those narratives to be seen and read and heard, and we should make the space uh for that because if we don't, no one else is going to to make that space and so yeah you know i i I believe I feel like I have a duty to to do that to present that and you know stories I love stories, I love telling them, I love hearing them and um I think you know the stories that that are just begging to be to be presented are the ones that I tend to also gravitate towards, and yeah, I just I know what it means to have an oral an oral history and to have a a, a something that that speaks to you and that resonates with you, and something that um, that you can say, yeah, i I understand that particular experience. Yeah um and i think we we need more of that.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, certainly, certainly. Um and what's your ancestry? You have a um a latin surname.
4: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um so i i actually uh my ancestry is actually i'm uh african american and then um i'm also a bit of irish uh actually. And uh, the surname uh, actually is my uh, wife's uh, family name. When I got married, I actually took her name.
3: Oh, that's heck of cool.
0: Really?
4: <laughs>
0: yeah. Oh, I, I've heard of that happening, but it's been so few and far between. I think you're like the second person I've ever heard do that. <laughs> okay, okay, nice, nice, nice. Oh, that's great. So I guess you call yourself a feminist, huh?
4: Um, you know, I, I, sure. I, I mean, I, I do. Or womanist, if uh, you like,
0: if you like the way Alice Walker uh, defines it, I I actually like womanist (laughs) better, um, because (laughs) feminist often involves like not liking men, but womanist encompasses, you know, loving men, but also wanting to further the agenda of, of equality and justice for everyone.
4: Yeah, that's yeah. That's but better. anyway, <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah,
3: I mean it's, it's also okay.
4: you know I I I also like I, I have to have the caveat right because I know that this it's always a uh, it's always a thing when when people realize that that's how that happened they're like oh and it's like yes I I do um I, I'm very much for equality. However, that decision was just—it was really a personal decision that worked for myself and my wife and, and our family. It, it wasn't—it wasn't you know to make any kind of statement, although like it may, but that that was not the the main reason, and that wasn't the goal.
3: Mhm. Right.
0: Yeah. Oh, cool, cool. Well, congratulations again on supremacy and. Um, Yeah, looking forward to other conversations. This was really lovely. Thank you so much, Jason.
4: Well, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it.
0: All right. You take good care. Look forward to seeing you in the theater.
4: Thank you. You as well.
0: (laughs) All right. Peace and blessings. Bye bye. Good morning, Lisa. How are you? Good morning, Wanda. Very well.
7: How about yourself?
0: I'm fine. Now, how do you say your last name? I can't figure it out.
7: Geduldig.
0: Geduldig. Oh. Just the way it's spelled. Oh. It. Yeah. Oh, it,
7: Geduldig. Oh, that's
0: my hard. Yeah, there's
7: no extra <laughs> consonants in there, no N. People always want to put an N in there. Yeah, it's it um,
3: yeah.
7: actually <laughs> means patient, like the virtue of having patience in German, Yiddish, and Dutch. Really?
3: Yeah! Wow! So that's
0: what my name it's means, Sabir. Isn't that funny?
3: It we have the same last well? name. Oh, yeah, that's funny. Yeah. yeah, in well, Arabic.
0: Mine uh-huh. is
7: not true. Is yours?
0: <laughs> Pardon me, say it again? Mine
7: is not a real virtue of my family. So,
0: you know, oh family. well, I I decided yeah. to keep it. It's it's my uh, children's father's name, and so mm-hmm. I decided to keep it because it's a good it's a good value to um, to work on. And Absolutely. I have been working language? on it for yeah, yeah. Patience. What language does it mm-hmm. mean patients in? Arabic. Arabic. Wow. Fascinating. Nice. Yeah, yes, Mosulan. Yeah. Uh-huh. Mhm. And whenever you see SBR um in in the uh uh Semitic languages it, it has to do with patience, no matter what mm-hmm. the version is. Um
2: mm-hmm. so um and
0: also in 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 uh uh, it needs to know, you know, the same root in in uh, in Spanish. So it's got it's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Um, but mm-hmm. in Arabic, yeah, yeah. So you are the uh, the woman who has all these great comedy shows that you curate, and and you got a Mother's Day one coming up next Thursday. And like, oh my God, it's going to be so mm-hmm. awesome.
7: So, yeah, um, yeah.
0: Tell us about it. <laughs> I started
7: Mm -hmm, a monthly comedy show at Ashkenaz in Berkeley about a year and a half ago, and some months are theme months, and our show next Mm. Thursday on May 9th is leading up to Mother's Day, so it's a Mother's Day comedy show, and we have a lineup of Bay Area comedians who are also mothers, Diane Amos, Corinda Dobbins, Emily Van Dyke is a mother to a newborn, so I'm sure she's going to have a lot Mm -hmm. of material from her experience as a mom, and Brandy Brandis, who's the executive director of Ashkenaz, is a mother to a fabulous six-year-old, and she's going to be making her comedy debut. And then I'm a de facto Jewish mother. I don't have any kids that I know of. <laughs> but <laughs>
6: I love saying that. Cause it's something that only men can say.
3: Right. <laughs> <But I'm laughs>
6: It started, somebody once asked me
7: on a plane if I had any kids, and I said not that I know of, so I decided to start using that in comedy here and there, because it's just Mm
2: -hmm. so absurd for
7: a woman to say that. So, um, yeah, yeah. this is the lineup of fabulous comedians who are also mothers. Um, It's right before Mother's Day, so it's a Mother's Day comedy show. We do a show show there every second Thursday of the month, and it's always a Mm -hmm. nice Mix of people in the audience from all over the East Bay, primarily, who are coming out to hear some uh, intelligent and
0: funny c- comedy. And you've been there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have. I have. It's really, really nice. And um, and let me see. Um, well, you know. well, Okay. It's um, eight to nine thirty, and uh, the mm-hmm. doors open at seven thirty, and the show starts at eight. And tickets are $15 to $20 sliding scale, and you can get them at the um, Ashkenaz um, website. And Ashkenaz is, is located right on the corner of um, San Pablo and Gilman in Berkeley. Do you know the actual address, uh, Lisa? Yeah, it's
7: 1317 San Pablo, and there's plenty of free parking in the REI parking lot just across the street. Mm-hmm. And You can come in and get something to eat, get something to drink. You can get tickets online beforehand or at the door. We say 15 to 20 sliding scale, so whatever you feel like paying. And uh, we have little cocktail tables of three and four chairs, and it's just a nice environment. Um, They hadn't had a comedy show there, and I started this one, like I said, about a year and a half ago, and we're doing it monthly, and it's working. Um, Diane Mm Namus is on the bill. She's a local uh, well known actress improv artist comedian and she's also known as the pine salt because she's on their t v commercials for over twenty years uh Corinda dobbs dobbins is a and, and, and she's also she's
0: also an african american um uh, mm-hmm. comedian and uh, and she was actually um on my show um mm-hmm. maybe, maybe a year ago um mm-hmm. or so something like that yeah yeah yeah
7: Two of the women on the mm-hmm. bill are African-American, uh, both I, Diane Amos and Corinda Dobson, who's an um, African-American lesbian comedian, mother, Detroit native. She's open mm-hmm. for Dave Chappelle, Trevor Noah. She's fabulous. And, um, yeah, so it's uh, always trying to have a multicultural bill and uh, usually a mix of men and women, but since it's Mother's Day comedy, it's uh all women comedians this month. Mm-hmm. We'll try yeah, you tell us
0: about Emma. yeah, you can tell us about Emily Van Dyke. I was reading that she's originally from the Midwest, and she loves pools and telling inappropriate stories at barbecues. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> and like I said yeah, earlier, people
7: might... she's the mother of a, mm-hmm. a newborn, so she has a three- or four-week-old uh, child. So when mm-hmm. I had booked her for the show, she was not mm-hmm. yet a mother, but I knew that she was going to have a lot of mother material once the show came. Mm -hmm. And then as I said earlier, so we have actually three comedians from the Midwest, Corinda, Emily, and Brandy. And Mm -hmm. uh, Diane originally hailed from Indianapolis and then moved with her lesbian moms to San Francisco Mm -hmm. when she was a teenager and then grew up in San Francisco, So, so actually a lot of People originally from the Midwest who found their way to San Francisco, as did a lot of us finding our ways to San Francisco.
0: Yeah, so did you you find your way to uh, San Francisco from somewhere else, or were you already here? No, I
7: grew up in New York, and when I was 20, I was taking time off from college, working on a farm in Vermont, waiting tables, trying to figure out what to do next. And I came out here for three weeks, and I never left so I've been here for about
1: 36, 37 years. It was oh, one of those $99 funny.
7: flights on one of the cheap airlines, and it was January, and it was T-shirt weather, and I was in California, which was such a mecca growing up in New York. It was this make-believe world that I never imagined I would get to, and I, mm-hmm. at the time, you could sell your return ticket back to the airlines, <laughs> all the mm-hmm. things you could do, like, you know, have people meet you at the gate and all this stuff that we used to be able
3: right. to do. Right, those
0: were the nice days when people could meet you at the gate. Yeah.
3: And and they didn't but, close
0: yeah. the doors until like you could be running down there and they would close the doors. They wouldn't close the doors mm-hmm. 30 minutes before takeoff. Mm-hmm. They would close the doors as soon as the last person was on. And Yeah, and so, you could practically do anything at the time.
3: Mm-hmm. I once, yeah. I once <laughs> brought
0: a, uh, a plug-in light-up
7: uh, porcelain goose to bring to have a friend see it when she came through the gate and I just put it through the uh, security like no problem can you imagine putting that through security now yeah. yeah, I'm just carrying a goose with me to the
0: gate to meet a friend yeah. <laughs> all kinds of things you can't, can no longer
1: do <laughs> right right
2: yeah
0: yeah. and this particular series that you you know you host at, at Askenaz, um, did you say every um every second Thursday of each month? Correct. Right, yeah. You've also um created producer and MC of of uh the show uh Kung Pao kosher comedy. Um uh
3: mm-hmm.
0: Jewish comedy at uh on Christmas in a Chinese restaurant which celebrates its twenty seventh year in two thousand nine. I remember when you started that, not Or yeah. I remember this. Yeah yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I've been thrift. on your so like for everything. a while. Give well, like everything.
2: Crazy. Else, wow, it was an accident,
7: yeah, yeah I think sure it was I it. in nineteen ninety three I had just performed in Massachusetts. I thought I was going to a comedy club called Peking Garden Club and I got there. it was a Chinese restaurant and then mm-hmm. uh, after this, I had a conversation with a friend about the irony of telling Jewish jokes at a Chinese restaurant and we came up with the
3: mm-hmm.
7: crazy idea of doing a Jewish comedy event on Christmas in a Chinese restaurant, and I thought I would do it once and it Mm-hmm. sold out and had a line of people around the block trying to get in. And then <laughs> I just created what's, you know, become an annual event with all these big headliners uh, over the years, mm-hmm. Henny Young and Elaine Bursler. Um mm-hmm. So, yeah, I branched out from that. And then also I'm going to be doing a Pride Comedy Night at Freight and Salvage on oh. Sunday, June 23rd. Marga Gomez, Mm -hmm. Samson McCormick, Irene too, and myself. Mm -hmm. And the night before Mm -hmm. at the Kumba in Santa Cruz, if anyone is listening in that area.
0: So, Mm -hmm. um, just one from
7: Column A, one from Column B.
3: Mm Mhm.
0: Wow. Yeah. And then you have um, comedy returns to El Rio. It's in its eleventh year. Is it El Rio in San Francisco?
7: Yes. That's also something mm-hmm. I thought I would do for a few months, and it's been 10 years. So um, <laughs> Friday, May 17th, we're having our 10th anniversary show at 7 o'clock, mm-hmm. and we'll have some food and a lineup of fabulous comedians, including Ngai Obilam, who maybe has been on your show, African-American comedian from the Bay Area. And mm-hmm. um, so that's that. Mission at Presida in San Francisco, and you can get information on all of the shows at koshercomedy.com, and then you just click on more and find out about these other shows. So yeah, I've been doing the Kung Pao Kosher Comedy for 27 years, Comedy Returns to Oreo for 10 years. Um, It's called Comedy Returns to Oreo because in the 80s and 90s, there was a comedy show there on Wednesdays, and I brought it back, but... Um, mm-hmm. I just thought again that was going to be brief, but ten years later, and then the Ashkenaz shows <laughs> went on for a year and a half, and just you know random mm-hmm. other shows. So you can, if if someone's listening who wants to keep an eye on what we're doing or get on the mailing list, just go to koshercomedy.com. dot com. Kosher with a K and comedy with a C. hmm. Right.
0: So. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I know I know you have to run, but um, as you run. Tell us sort of the appeal of comedy, um, you know, philosophically for you. I mean, I can't think of anyone that's producing so many comedy shows for such tenure, right? I mean, it's like, wow, 27 oh, thank you. years. Well, whoa.
7: well there's, there's this <laughs> wonderful experience about having a bunch of strangers coming together and laughing about something collectively mm-hmm. in the dark, you know, and and, and comedy is sort of a, relationship and a chemistry between the comedian and the audience because we both have to do our part. You know, you can have a fabulous comedian who the audience for some reason that night has just decided they're not going to laugh and it might be a struggle. Um, You know, and then it's just with all the garbage going on now, we need comic relief and it's good to get out and get away from the news and get away from social media and uh, get a comedian's perspective on whether or not it's politics or relationships or just observational humor. It's just really good therapeutically, um, I find, for both myself as a comedian and as an audience member. So it's it's comedy therapy these days.
0: Comedy therapy. (laughs) Well, you know, they talk about how laughter is the best cure, right? Like it makes, Absolutely. like it literally makes people well. So,
5: mm-hmm. yeah, people
0: should come on, you know, and get, get their therapy on, and, you know, much yeah, less extensively.
7: Yeah, I used to run a comedy, we called it the Comedy Clinic at a nursing home in San Francisco, mm. the Jewish home. Uh, and oh, uh, comedy clinic we had nice. Yeah, so we basically had this class once a week, and all these people in their 80s and 90s would come to class and do improv exercises and laugh and get away from their troubles and pains and just act silly. And it was really healing. So we mm-hmm. started it um, with a, a grant from from my event, Kung Pao Comedy, because I give money away to different organizations each year. And then the nursing home administrators loved the class so much that they kept it going for a decade. And it was just a mm-hmm. really wonderful part of their schedule, what people would really look forward to. And and the, the way they we started this class was the medical director discovered that a good portion of the population of the residents were asking for sleeping pills and asked them why. And because after their early dinner at maybe 5 o'clock they didn't have anything to do. So they decided to mm. institute evening programs uh, like music and this comedy clinic. And then they found that the percentage of people asking for sleeping pills dramatically decreased because people had things to do, but they didn't realize originally the reason why so many people were asking for the sleeping pills
4: mm-hmm. hmm. so it wow.
7: was it was uh, it was it was therapy in a lot of ways
3: mm-hmm. both you know oh, wow. laughter
7: and you know staying awake and
3: mm-hmm.
7: not
0: taking medicine to go to sleep. Yeah, exactly. When you're not ill, you don't need to take medicine to sleep well your life. Mm-hmm. But then if you're bored, then, you mm-hmm. know, what else, what are you going to What What is the reason to stay awake, right? It's almost like, right. why should I stay alive almost? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, that's really great. So how does one uh, have a career in comedy? Like what schools do you recommend?
7: <laughs> well, what I recommend to people is that they just – Keep notes, you know, whether or not it's in a notebook or an iPhone or iPad or your computer and just start going to comedy and watching it and then get up the nerve to go to uh, an open mic. You know, there there is a there are comedy schools around that don't necessarily um, think that people need to go to a comedy school to learn, but um, I, I think just learning on the job, you know, just... If you with, if you think that things that you say are funny, your friends are laughing. Just start writing them down, and then little by little, um, start putting an act together, and go watch comedy, and then get up the nerve to do it yourself.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is that how you did it? Yes. Yeah. yeah.
7: There, there is a comedy college in San Francisco. That um, then you can just Google comedy college and get the information. About, and I don't have the details off the top of my head. But um, you can do either approach, you know, go to a class. Um, And then improv is really good. I go to a drop-in improv class at Fort Mason uh, that exists Mm. every Saturday. It's been going on for about 35 years. And improv is great because it just loosens you up in any aspect of your life. And it's definitely helped me on stage to roll with the punches and also just in
6: life to roll
7: with the punches. You know, and you don't know what's going to happen in improv and you don't know what's going to happen in life either. So um, if if someone who's listening is interested in learning about doing that, you can uh, just go online and find a local improv class or um, on a Saturday at 1 o'clock to a class at Fort Neeson in Building C. Just look on the schedule and you don't have to sign up ahead of time. It's $20 for a three-hour class, and it's very welcoming to newcomers and people have been coming and going at that class for about 35 years.
0: Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah,
3: cuz um
0: Yeah, cuz um you know, having, you know, some theater is also helpful, right? Um mm-hmm. as uh Mhm. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Super. Well, I don't want to keep you cuz I know you said you needed to go and I've already kept you. But thank no, you so, no, thank much, you so um, much for, for sending. Yeah, so if anyone's interested oh, uh
7: mm-hmm. next Thursday at oh. Ashkenaz. Thursday, May 9th at 8 p.m., Ashkenaz, San Pablo, and Gilman in Berkeley. And the following Friday, the 17th at 7 o'clock at El Rio on Mission at Procida in San Francisco. And koshercomedy.com has all the details.
0: And wanted to let me know if you want to come to any of the shows. Okay. Yeah, I do want to come uh, next Thursday. <laughs> uh, next Thursday? Yeah, I really, really enjoy. Yeah, I do enjoy your show. Okay. Yeah. All right. Cool. Great. You'll be cool okay all right, thanks, thanks for you. having me. All right you take good okay. care. Oh, you're welcome. Have Thank a good you. rest of the day mm-hmm. thanks bye happy may day. bye <laughs> All righty so um today is the opening um ceremony- celebration of the older American month uh art exhibit and um you have information on day downtown oakland um Gawa Plaza on uh, 14th and Broadway. There's free lunch, really nice lunch, a lot of information booths. And the art exhibit is in the uh, Lino um, um, Wilson um, Building, which is right cat-a-corner to the corner um, to City Hall. And so that starts at 10. I think it was like 10 to 2, 10 to 1, something like that. So that's going to be really cool. And um, the... Um, the play, uh how I learned what I learned, uh at Ubuntu Theatre Company, it's up through Sunday, uh at the um, um at uh, Mills College in Oakland. And so performances are at seven PM so tonight, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, skip Saturday and Sunday, there's two shows, two and seven, um, at a sort of a theater I've never been to before. <laughs> so you just um, it's it's right through the center of campus, and then uh, through this um, um, this theater center, art center. The only problem is the sign is blocked by a um, a solar generator. So when you see the solar generator. Look around that and you'll see the sign and just walk through and you'll see the theater because we had some trouble figuring it out. And we got a lift from, from uh, the police who was in a car. So that was really nice because we were learning later. We couldn't figure it out. But Stephen Anthony Jones is awesome as August Wilson. And the story, August Wilson's story, is just like, wow, it is simply phenomenal. Um, let me uh, let me read you what I wrote. Um, August Wilson, playwright, was very much at home in the San Francisco Bay Area. I will never forget his workshop production of Jitney at Lorraine Hansberry Theater, where he encouraged a woman who criticized the absence of substantive women characters in his plays to write her own. Wilson said his journey was personal, yet there was room on the stage for multiple voices and perspectives. His relationship with Stanley F. Williams and Quentin Easter at Lorraine Hansberry Theater, his support... Uh, black theater and its playwrights Formalized in a legendary speech June 26, 1996 At the 11th uh, Ben-Nanel Theater Communications Group International Conference at Princeton Might have slowed if not saved A few independent centers Across the country Legendary houses like the Negro Ensemble Theater Where Stephen Anthony Jones cut his teeth It is amazing That Wilson had no Formal theater training yet was called to write the story of an African-American people with dignity and respect. He mentions in How I Learned What I Learned that an artist reaches an arc where the medium is exhausted and it's time to move on. He tells the story of John Coltrane coming out of a club after a concert and asking a young artist to teach him something new. The young musician said he was still practicing scales, to which Coltrane encouraged him to keep practicing and moved on. Jones is a consummate storyteller, too. If you saw his third good, also directed by Margot Hall, then you know that his timing is impeccable and cues tight. With a minimized set, desk, coat rack, easel for, some, for scene cues, we are carried away by characters and incidents as, as captivating as any created in Wilson's imagination. How I Learned is insight into the birthplace of some of the more Familiar of, of some of the familiar terrain covered in Wilson's Century Cycle, though all the personal and professional through all the personal and professional slights, Wilson speaks of human dignity, a principle learned from his mother, whom he shares. Wins a washing machine in a game show, when the hosts learn she is a black woman, they refuse her the prize. Instead, they want to give her a certificate for a youth washer from the Salvation Army. She refuses, saves up her money, and buys her own. Young Wilson hangs out with a drug dealer, dates a married woman, loses his poetry, is in way over his head most of the time, yet has a guardian angel on his shoulder and comes to no harm. His rite of passage is jail. However, he calls an attorney friend to ask for advice before he inadvertently breaks the law. The lawyer leaves out an important detail. This play, a multiple theater production, Marin Theater Company had a run, the Rand Hansford Theater had a run, and now Ubuntu Theater Project closes this run Sunday, May 5th at Mills College, Rothwell Theater Center, um, five thousand MacArthur Boulevard in Oakland. Shows are seven, as I mentioned, Thursday, Friday, with two shows Sunday, two and seven. For tickets and information, call Ubuntu Theater at 510-646-1126 or visit Ubuntu, U-B-U-N-T-U, Theater, T-H-E-A-T-E-R, project.com. Tickets are pay what you can for all shows. Stephen Anthony Jones needs more black people in the house. You will not be disappointed. Take a youth with you. And Jones is capable and skilled hands. The show is funny, surprising, and compelling. How I Learned is an important American history. American history. Thanks so much for visiting, joining us for another edition of Wanda's Picks. Tune in Friday, same time, 8 to 10. Peace and blessings. And visit wandaspicks.com.